1: Conda Mason's Brown Rice Hour, a podcast that quilts together a fabric of connection between land, race, money,
0: culture, and spirit. Discover a connection that engages with the most inspiring and cutting-edge thought leaders today, pointing toward our collective healing and liberation. If you are interested in supporting the Brown Rice Hour, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Conda.
1: Hello there. Welcome. Uh, I am Conda Mason and this is the Brown Rice Hour, the intersectional conversations of land, race, money, and spirit and culture. And so this is my first, um, the first recording of my new podcast with the Be Here Now Network. And I'm excited that my very first guest is my dear friend and amazing being, Miss Fanya Davis, so welcome, Fanya
2: Thank you for this honor
1: oh, that amazing. <laughs> It's so good. I can't believe that you said yes, of course you did say yes. I'm so happy you said yes to to doing this interview as my my first guest on my podcast here so um I actually want to begin with um stating where you're from and um and uh, any land acknowledgement that you'd like to do.
2: Sure. Uh, I'm calling in uh, from Oakland, California, uh, the unceded territory of the Ohlone people. Uh, I actually was born and came of age in Birmingham, Alabama, Mm -hmm. the unceded land of the Choctaw, Cherokee, Chickasaw, Alabama. So good to be here with you. And I just ask that we may, I may, walk this land um, in ways that honor the ancestors of this land and ways that bring healing and wholeness. Yeah. Yes.
1: Thank you, Fania. I, too, am on the uh, unceded territory of the Ohlone in Oakland, California, as well. And so um, I'm happy to be on this land with you and in this community with you and now on this um, podcast with you. So, this is good. So, I like to begin with, um, you know, opening up sacred space, if that's good with you. And, good. So, in that opening of sacred space, um, what's important for me is to just take a moment. I actually have a candle here that I will light. Open up sacred space. We have a little candle here. Oh, thank you. Yes, I've got a candle. And I have my Palo Santo, a bit of sage as well. Mm-hmm. And so opening up sacred space and um, taking a moment to go inside for a minute and really being present to our ancestors and really honoring the ancestors um, that, whose shoulders we stand on, who have gone through so much, and particularly our African ancestors too. Um, to survive, to survive the, all that it took to get here, the passage as well as the horrific chattel slavery. And here we are and I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for them. And I wanna honor our ancestors and I wanna honor also the work that we are currently doing today that represents their wishes. And I also want to honor those who are coming, those generations who are still to come, that may we make them proud mm-hmm. that the work that we do today is the work that makes them proud of us to say yes to us. So I would like to just thank, thank them and thank all of the beings that help us do the work that we do. Ashe? All right. So I I want to welcome you to my first podcast, which is, uh, like I said, I have these conversations, these intersectional conversations on land, race, money, and spirit. And it's just Really important subjects for me. How they all intertwine in this country, particularly. I'm, you know, so very. I'm American-centric conversations around our history here on this land, and so land is really important. When just like we honored the land of of the indigenous people who stewarded this land first, um, and and then what has happened with land in this country, and how land is also the, um it is what we consider wealth also in this country. It is based on land ownership. And, and you know, I, I like taking looks at, at those kinds of conversations and ownership of land in general. Who owns the land, really? Um, can we really own land? Um, and then there's, of course, race has everything to do with um, our, this country, everything to do with this country, as well as uh, racial capitalism and money. And money is at the seed of all of it and underneath all of it is actually our dear spirits. The fact that we are spiritual beings and um, the fact that we are all deeply interconnected to the land, to the earth, to each other, to all species. And so at the core of everything really is spirit. And yet we forget. And yet we live our lives so absent of spirit. And so... Um, I want a presence. Some conversations will be about different parts of that. Those, those, that intersectional conversation. And um, with you, we're going to see where we go. We definitely will be about. Um, well, we'll see where we go. We'll see where we go. Yeah. And um, and you, you, you actually, you know, you have so much information and knowledge in all of those areas, and so I'm sure we'll touch on some of all of it. So I just want to thank you for coming. So let me introduce you to the people here who are who are watching or listening to this podcast. So, Banya E. Davis. I'm going to read your bio, if that's okay.
2: Mm I I forgot to get my Palo Santo. Oh, okay. The bio. You'll go to your Palo Santo, so I can burn it as an
1: offering. Great. Very good. Very good. Okay. So, I'm going to, she's going to get her Palo Santo, which is again, this is what this is, and I am burning my Palo Santo. It is a, Palo Santo is sacred stick, is what it stands for in Spanish. And it is a, um, it is a cleansing and it cleans the, the space. And um, really, it's like what we think of or what we use often as sage in this country. So, a little bit about um, Fanya Davis. Fanya is a leading national voice on restorative justice and she is a longtime social justice act- Activist a civil rights trial attorney a writer restorative justice practitioner an educator with a PhD in indigenous knowledge So coming of age as she said in Birmingham, Alabama during the social ferment of the civil rights era the murder of two close childhood friends in the 1963 Sunday school bombing, which hopefully all of you have heard about, it crystallized within Fanya a passionate commitment to social transformation. For the next decades, she was active in the civil rights, black liberation, women's prisoners, peace, anti-racial violence, economic justice, and anti-apartheid movements. Studying with African Indigenous healers crystallized Fanya's search for a healing justice, ultimately leading her to serve as founder director of Restorative Justice of Oakland Youth, RJOY, which is the, is the acronym RJOY, and co founding board member of the National Association of Community and Restorative Justice. Her numerous honors include the Ubuntu Award for Service to Humanity, the Dennis Maloney Award for excellent, Excellence in Youth Restorative Justice, the Black Feminist Shapeshifters and Waymakers Award, the Takoon Repair the World Award, the Eller Baker Joe Baker Human Rights Award, the Bioneers Changemaker Award, the Lafarge Social Justice Award, and the Ebony Power 100 Award. The Los Angeles Times named Fanya a new civil rights leader of the 21st century. Banya, who resides in Oakland, California, she writes and speaks internationally on restorative justice, racial justice, truth processes, and indigeneity. That's my friend, Fanya Davis. Just amazing. <clears throat> amazing. What a history, what a life you've had and that you have crafted and with all the many passions that you have, a PhD in indigenous knowledge. <laughs> it's incredible. I, um, I, I want to ask you one first question that you don't know that I'm going to ask you. And it's a, it's a question that I, I like to ask. I'm going to ask my, my, my guests. And that is, what as a child, because this is the brown rice hour, right? And I, I love food. food I, I'm a foodie. And I like to ask about food. And I want to ask, as a child, what was your comfort food? And who prepared it?
2: Oh, I love that question. Before (laughs) I answer it, I just want to show you. I didn't use my Palo Santo. Okay. um, Impepo. Impepo. Uh, It's used in the Zulu tradition in Ah. Africa to invite the ancestors. Ah, beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, So what was your comfort food and who prepared it? My comfort food. I love grits. (laughs) Uh, And we would have grits every morning for breakfast. And my father made breakfast.
3: Because
2: um, my mother told him shortly after they were married and started having children, she called him by his last name. She She said, Davis. You can either uh, get the kids ready for school every morning or cook breakfast, your choice. (laughs) (laughs) So we chose breakfast. (laughs) And every morning we had these southern style breakfasts, you know, grits and bacon, Mm, mm. eggs and fried apples, and sometimes liver uh, smothered in onions. Uh, Oh my God. On top of the. the, grits Mm. I love grits my sister Angela hated grits she hates grits hated grits no I love them oh god I love them I used to say I love grits so much that I'm made out of grits that
1: was that was my okay 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 question were they sweet grits or not
2: oh no they were just good good oh I know
1: I can't stand it when people put sugar on grits I know, that's so crazy. Yeah,
2: sometimes I think my my father would put cheese. A yes. I don't
1: I maybe cheese cheesy grits
2: later. But yeah, now cheese is okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, grits was a big one. As a matter of fact, yesterday morning, my sister made me grits, cheesy grits. This we use, of course, non dairy cheese now because I'm yes. vegan. And I was sitting here at, at on a Zoom call, and she brought me a plate of grits, and it was just oh so good. I am so happy to hear that that grits was it, and it was your dad. My dad, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. That he is- the best breakfasts every morning. Every morning. Sit down at the table. I have uh, three other siblings. There are four of us. So we would all sit down before going to to work in school. Mm -hmm. My mother was a school teacher. Okay. And your dad, what did he do? My dad um, was a teacher originally, but um, he ended up becoming an entrepreneur. He owned an auto parts store, a parking lot, and a um, gas station. Um, right in what's now known as the Civil Rights District, just a block away from the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham. Oh,
1: that's where you grew up. Bombingham, it was called then, wasn't it? Bom-
2: Bombingham, absolutely. Bombingham. Yep. Bombingham. Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: Well, can you just give us a little bit about Bombingham? Why was that's- it called uh-huh. Bombingham?
2: It was called Bombingham because of the frequency of um, bombs. Uh, that were exploded by uh, racial terrorists, Ku Klux Klan, white citizens council, hate groups, white hate groups, um, because this is what was the time of the rising civil rights movement mm-hmm. that was challenging uh, segregation, the system of segregation, right then right, on. And so um, bombs were planted by these groups in an attempt to dissuade us, intimidate us, terrorize us, frighten Mm -hmm. us into Mm -hmm. action Mm -hmm. Uh, of course it only made us more uh determined Mm -hmm. and uh, there were bombs in our neighborhood um we were very fortunate um Mm -hmm. uh, but we were in a neighborhood that had just recently become uh desegregated not really desegregated we were just pushing the color line the neighborhood Mm -hmm. still segregated but uh, just across the street, Center Street, mm-hmm. which is one of the streets that we live on, lived mm-hmm. on. Um, the white community began, I and see. behind us, all black people. So we were one of the first families to move into that neighborhood called Dynamite Hill. Dynamite Hill. It's called Dynamite Hill, and mm-hmm. uh, so they responded yes with the dynamite. As more and more families started moving in. Um, we were really blessed and there was some protection around us uh, because our home was never bombed. We would wake up in the middle of the night to the sounds of bombs going off all around us.
1: Uh,
2: mm-hmm. and you
1: grew up with that. That was, that was You were a child when all that was happening.
2: Right. And my father was part of a group of uh, other fathers who were armed. They formed an armed patrol to protect mm-hmm. their families. Mm. Um, and that I don't remember, but Angela can remember nights when she heard my father, uh, uh run downstairs and saw him grab his gun, go outside because of noises that he heard. Uh, um, and then our church was firebombed because we had an interracial discussion group there. <clears throat> our church is like a block two two blocks away from our home. And then across the street from the church lived a man called Attorney Arthur D. Shores, who was a giant. He was small in stature, but he single-handedly, as a litigator, Mm -hmm. brought down the system of segregation, whether in schools, uh, education, housing, uh, employment. Really? And yeah, there are pictures of him and some of our history books, walking with um, Thurgood Marshall, who of course, became the first black um, right. Supreme Court of justice. Right, and they were going to the Supreme Court to argue cases together back in the fifties. This is a white man. Oh, uh, wh- who?
1: This is who we're talking about? This is a black oh,
2: man. Oh, the lawyer. The um, lawyer who lived across the street from my church. Yes, I remember it's a segregated neighborhood. So, okay, he was black. He was and black. Was unsung black hero.
1: Oh, of, I see. I never. I don't know him. Yeah,
2: very. Okay, few. that's what I'm saying. And I, I wish, I hope that, you know, our history books um, uh, tell us uh, more about him, teach about yeah. him. Arthur D. Shores, his or daughter, Shores. Barbara Shores, actually wrote a book about him called The Gentle Giant. Um, um, hmm. But his home was bombed four times. Whoa! Uh, and he took to sitting out on his porch at night with his shotgun to protect his family. He was very fortunate. His wife was injured once, um, but not seriously. Actually, the fourth attempt to bomb the house was not successful. But Mm. three times they did, you know, destroy parts of the house. Wow. And then, of course, the bombing that everyone knows about. Yeah. 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 That one. Yeah. Uh, September 15th, 1963. Yeah. At the 16th Street Baptist Baptist Church. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which took the lives of four girls. um, And blinded another girl. Um, And two of those girls, Cynthia uh, Wesley and uh, Carol Robertson, were very close friends of mine. Uh, Cynthia lived just mm, two doors away from me. We played together all the time. Carol lived farther away, but our families were close. We would go on vacations together. We were both uh, family members of the Jack and Jill organization. Oh yeah, um, but uh, so that bombing probably more than any other single experience of growing up in the apartheid-like uh, uh, city of Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. That experience is what kind of crystallized within me mm-hmm. this this um, irretrievable, irreversible. Uh, uh, burning uh, commitment and yearning to be an agent uh, of social transformation. And that's what sort of put me on the path of this war of being a warrior for justice. Um, yeah, yeah. And and that you are. Life life comes out of that. Yeah, yeah. The of my beginnings. Yeah. There. yeah.
1: Totally, totally makes sense. I see that. And I see, I mean, just knowing. Your life and the passion and all the work you've done, and, and it's um, I see how it would it would it would produce such beauty that you are and such a beautiful heart. I mean, I think about that also could have created a lot of hatred. It could have created someone with a lot of hate,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and um, you know, experiencing those kinds of experiences when hate comes at you like that. And so, I just so appreciate. You know, who you are I
2: went through I went through my hate you I'm know, sure
1: I, you did I did I I'm did. sure you did I'm yeah. sure you did so um, you know this reminds me I want to really um jump to talking about your book I I love your book and it's called the little book of race and restorative justice black lives healing and U.S. social transformation that book is um It's a little book and I thought I had it up on me, but I was reading it in my, in the other room. So I don't have it on me. I wanted to show it. Um, It is, I love every, every, every page, every word on it and, and where you um, take us with um, the idea of what justice could look like, you know? And so if there's, and you have this frame around the warrior and the healer, and I love that frame And so I would love if you could talk a little bit about the book and that framing that you use. Sure.
2: Um, Yeah, the framing. I'll talk about the framing first, maybe. Okay. Uh, Yeah, coming out of those apartheid-like conditions, as I said earlier, in the South, and losing two of my closest friends uh, to racial terror. And then... Just a few years later, uh, almost being killed by the police, myself and my husband, my husband was actually uh, seriously wounded by police. Uh, this was at a, t- at a time when we were working with the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. The police essentially invaded our apartment and, and um, pulled out guns. And my husband pulled out, went to pull out his gun. In self-defense and they um, immediately shot at him um, and the first bullet uh, entered his shoulder and uh, exited his um, the side of his spine very just millimeters away from the spine and that's fortunate because he could have been paralyzed I actually jumped on the back of the police officer <laughs> Who, who was holding, you don't think in those moments, right? right. Who, was hold, who, was, who was training the gun on my husband about to kill him. I didn't know if he was killed already because one shot had already been fired. But just in a matter of seconds, I jumped on the back of the officer and then I grabbed his gun arm and knocked it up. Wow. So the rest of the bullets uh, went up the wall behind my husband and not into his body. Wow. Um, and I just wanted to say that um, just to acknowledge that I too are among the millions who um, have been uh, brutalized and almost killed by uh, police terror violence. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. At this time, um, that was in California. In San Diego? Was yeah, you that, guys were in San Diego. Yeah, it was in San yeah. Diego. Yeah. yeah so at so, at this time of my life uh, and uh, basically, after leaving Birmingham and going away to college and then grad school, I was becoming more and more radicalized. I was actually learning how to shoot uh, weapons
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I was taking martial arts classes. Mm-hmm. we were considering uh tr- going to Africa to get training in Urban guerrilla warfare. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, for us, um, that was a time of war, and and my anger was very much a part of my yeah. um, way of being in the world <clears> throat> at throat> that time. Mm-hmm. And my anger at what happened in Birmingham was driving me. My anger at what happened to my husband and I, my anger at what happened to my sister, Angela Davis, who was uh, uh, nearly legally lynched based Mm -hmm. on uh, false uh, politically motivated capital murder, conspiracy, kidnapping charges. So I came out of those experiences with, uh, um, you know, as a class, as a warrior you know yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. as a, as a mm-hmm. downright um, mm-hmm. um, uh, dedicated uh, and determined warrior Mm-hmm. And from there, I went to law school, I became a trial lawyer, I started fighting um, uh, racism in the courts, I'm still fighting racism in the streets, whether uh, the, 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 the movement against uh, apartheid, uh, the movement uh, uh, against exploitation of poor people and for economic justice, I was involved in many movements of the day, peace movements, women's movements, anti-imperialist movements, and so on. And um, after almost 30 years of cultivating the hyper-rationalist, hyper-masculinist, uh, hyper-aggressive qualities that I needed to cultivate in order to be yeah. successful as a, as a litigator and, trial right. voyage, and as an activist, right. I became sick. I became ill. Mm. And mm. somehow I knew that I was being... I was being called. I was being invited yeah. to to mm-hmm. uh, bring more healing energies, mm-hmm. more spiritual energies into my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The next phase, and yes, yeah, so, and so the next phase started mm-hmm. uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the universe sort of served these experiences up to me that I needed at that time. Yeah, yeah. I um, I remember once. Uh, coming out of the courtroom on on Fallon Street, and you know, listeners probably know in Oakland, near in the Oakland. Yeah. Just had a court appearance. And running down the steps to my next appointment. And then at the bottom of the stairway, this uh, white woman with spiky red hair and just crystalline, uh, sparkling blue eyes, uh, was blocking me. She was a, a prophetess, a, a homeless prophetess. She had her her bin of her belongings um, Mm -hmm. in front of her. Mm -hmm. And she blocked my way and I couldn't move. I didn't even try to move. It was as if I was frozen there. Right, right, right. And she looks at me and says, are you happy in your work? Are you happy with what you're doing? I couldn't respond, I was just speechless. And um, she then turns around to face the lake and, and the Northeastern sky and she says, you must learn from them, the bear beings, I believe she said. You must learn from them. And, uh, and then she starts to go away, you know, toward the west. And, and she turns around and says, you must change. And she yelled change twice. Wow. And louder and louder and louder. Oracle. Yeah. Oracle. Exactly. The homeless oracle. The homeless yeah. oracle. oracle. Yeah, and it was, she was commanding me. She wasn't boasting. Wow. She was commanding me. And you were ready for
1: it. And you, okay. it came, yeah, yeah. The teacher shows up when the student's ready, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And what happened I, after that? Oh, Did well. You change? Is that when
2: things changed? Yeah. That's when things changed. Huh. At the same time, I was also having dreams. Just mm. Every night, I would have dreams of water, you know, of of uh, being in a deluge, being in a tsunami, a tsunami Mm. of um, uh, somehow of breathing underwater as if I were a a water creature. Mm. And somehow being born uh, into another body under, just water, you know. Water.
1: Yeah, Maya. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And, um, well... After I had the encounter with the Homeless Oracle, I studied the constellation that she was pointing to. And turns out that that constellation contains ancestral knowledge and spirituality. That's the arc where ancestral wisdom is stored. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I was being called to um to become closer to my ancestors, you know, to engage in a spirituality that is an ancestral spirituality. At that time I had been uh, meditating and, and studying uh, Hinduism and, and, and studying yoga and meditating at the ashram, uh the Siddha Yoga Ashram. So the
1: Siddha Yoga, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And I saw what the Oracle said as a call for me to uh Recover ancestral spirituality. Okay. Um, And I said, well, how am I going to do that? And then I started thinking about, well, maybe I'll go into a graduate program. And I looked at a few. And after I took trips to some of those places and talked to the people there, I said, oh, no, no, I cannot do this program because they are talking heads.
1: Mm, mm, mm.
2: They're not Not embodied. Mm -hmm. I need embodied knowledge. I need embodied experiences. I need um, integrated mod- body, mind, spirit, emotion. I need to learn and relearn in these ways, and not perpetuate the same old uh, right. fragmented and splitting
1: right.
2: world. Right. That's what's getting me sick. Right. So <laughs> uh, I was a little discouraged, you know, about programs, uh, graduate programs, until my yoga teacher said. Uh, that he was doing a workshop on spirituality and science. And I said, oh, well, really? That sounds in- interesting. Where? He said it's C-I-I-S, mm. College of Spiritual Studies. Right. And so uh, I went there and found a program called Recovery of Indigenous Knowledge. Mm, beautiful. And, and a PhD program that allowed me to okay. learn from uh, traditional elders and traditional healers from all over the world Mm-hmm. allowed me to actually spend um, six months all at once uh, apprenticing with um, a South African, a great healer, Abusa and Prado who has now um, made his way to the ancestors just recently. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, So all of this
1: is the culmination of this warrior and healer, and that's the frame of the book. Yes. All yeah. the warriors the warrior energy that you Live, and the healer energy coming together
2: yes, yes mm-hmm. when I um uh, finished my apprenticeship um as a healer myself uh with Usamaama mm-hmm. Zulu Mutwa and came home, I was very disappointed that I could not find any uh remunerative work work that would pay me mm-hmm. uh, in the field of healing, you know mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And um, so I ended up kicking and screaming going back into the practice of law.
1: Oh, you did. Okay. But different. It must have been different. It was was different. It had to be different. You were different.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. My first client after my initiation, after coming back from Africa, was a Sudanese man who himself was initiated. Mm -hmm. Nuer. He had warrior marks mm-hmm. on his face, he had warrior locks. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was sent to this country by his tribe uh, to go to school. And uh, when he finished, he vowed to, um, to use his knowledge and education for the benefit of his people. Mm. And um, he had been denied tenure by a, a local university. Not because he was unqualified, uh, students loved him. Uh, got mm-hmm. you know, top-notch evaluations. His uh, colleagues gave him incredibly high evaluations. He had more publications than the tenured professors did. Yet he was denied tenure. So that was the case. That was my first case. Okay. So I got to that was your first case, okay? After coming back, you know, from all right. So I got to right. talk to the jury about uh, this initiated man and. Had to talk to the to the jury about um, uh, about how they had been chosen uh, because in his history, there are no accidents that right. they've been chosen by that those Francis.
1: twelve jurors that those yes. jurors those twelve jurors were chosen to be
2: there. I love and to it. vindicate him. I love it. And to create. I love it. <laughs> And um, what an integration of the two worlds of
1: the legal yes. world with this world! I exactly, love it.
2: Exactly. So did they did. What happened? We had a great. We connected really deeply with this jury, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they gave us a, a verdict of about seven hundred thousand dollars. Wow! And um, and afterwards, we were talking to the jury members, and they were saying, "Miss Davis, we thought you were going to start dancing and drumming." <laughs> <laughs> And you almost did, didn't you? Exactly. I said, well, you know, well, actually, he was talking about while while we were litigating the case. I was so deeply involved in in conveying to them African spirituality, African indigenous culture. Yeah, uh, yeah. That um, they said that. I said, well, yeah, actually... that is how justice is done in Africa traditionally, with drums. Yes, with and drums dance. and dancing. And with deep connection. Yeah, yeah. Reminding people of who they really
1: are. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And so all of this then informs the restorative justice that you went have gone so deeply in. You are the voice of restorative justice in this country, honestly. And so a little bit about restorative justice and how it's different than what we call justice or pe- penal justice.
2: Right. So um, even though I was very disappointed that I couldn't get a job, a paying job that would allow me to do healing work, mm-hmm. I came back from Africa and I ended up kicking and screaming going back into the law profession. Right. Uh, It turned out to be a positive experience, not only because of uh, the the verdict and the the way that the trial went uh, uh, for my client, but also because as a lawyer, I was invited by lawyers to a conference of lawyers. Uh And that is where I learned about restorative justice.
3: Oh,
2: yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I learned about restorative justice uh, from this um, district attorney uh, from Austin, Mm -hmm. which is Travis County, Texas. Okay, And uh, that was my first introduction to it. Mm. Uh, this man was, was amazing. He recently passed, but he had been able to be reelected a few times as district attorney because he was using restorative justice, which mm-hmm. uh, was reducing the crime rate and strengthening communities. Um, so yes, I heard about this justice that Seeks to create community peace instead of deepening conflict. This justice that seeks to repair harm instead of uh, replicate harm. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, this justice that seeks to repair relationships instead of deepening um, uh, the conflict within those relationships. and this justice that heals instead of harms. Mm. Uh, it was a real epiphany for me. Uh, I kind of still remember the day, the room that we were in, and uh, when I first heard about restorative justice. And it was an epiphany for me because I felt finally I can be both warrior and healer because mm. I was having difficulty around that time being, seeing that they were not irreconcilable opposites. You know, we in our culture we are very binary. Something is yeah. one thing or another. It's right. good or bad,
1: right. right or wrong. That's right. Um, that's right. Paradox is not good. Our minds don't hold
2: both. We don't, hands. We don't hold the We, hold it. Yeah, we don't hold it's opposites very well. That's right. We can't, we can't harmonize them in our mind. Yeah. Which you know reflects a sort of fragmented way of experiencing the world of being. Mm. But learning about restorative justice uh, allowed me to be both. Um, and I felt whole. I felt mm. integrated. I could be both of the, these things at once. Mm. You know, I went through a period of, when I was in the movement, you know, like with Marxists and, and, and revolutionaries, even mm. though I was feeling this tug, this pull toward meditation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That spirituality, I hit it. I would do it. But I would, I would do it undercover. I would be in the closet with them.
1: <laughs> You didn't want your revolutionary brothers and sisters to think that you were weak or anything like that, exactly. right?
2: Exactly. <laughs> metaphysical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was around really spiritual people. Right. It was, it was yeah, right. political. So, right. so in yeah. this Apologies. moment, when I heard about restorative justice, it, it allowed me Both. to... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited that I just devoured every book I could find. I talked mm-hmm. to all of the, the writers and the leaders in the restorative justice movement. I went to conferences, including a conference in, um, in Colombia, mm-hmm. in Cali, Colombia, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Bishop Desmond Tutu was the oh. king. Okay. Okay. And, and the, the conference was about using restorative justice to bring peace to Colombia, which, mm-hmm. uh, and was just racked and divided by mm. uh, gang warfare and and, mm. and all that and not not gang warfare just massive yeah. uh, drug you know yeah. drug conflict
1: now is this post apartheid
2: or yeah this is post apartheid
1: post apartheid and,
2: and so this was in the early this was maybe oh gosh early 2000s maybe very early oh, okay. okay
1: okay okay mm-hmm. yeah.
2: And there were other people there from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission.
1: Okay, oh, good.
2: Um, okay. Well, South Africa made its transition from apartheid uh, to democracy, well, you know, I don't say democracy, I'd say Western-style democracy. It made its transition from apartheid to Western-style democracy through the Truth and Reconciliation process, which mm-hmm. had a lot of flaws in many ways, yeah. uh, but one thing for sure it did and that was it allowed South Africa to make that transition yes. uh, of apartheid uh, yes. without oceans of blood, without a civil war, because that was what was feared. And it absolutely. kind of it the spirit of healing, the spirit of Ubuntu, uh, yes. um, the spirit of forgiveness in the nation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, it wasn't perfect, but it was absolutely, I can't even imagine, had the T or the Truth and Reconciliation Commission not happened. What would have happened in that country? It's, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. So that's
2: well, I was, yeah. I was really honored to meet people who were involved in that commission, and of course to yeah. meet um, Archbishop Des- Desmond Tutu. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was do du- I was doubly blessed because uh, on the way back home from Cali, Colombia, I think we had to stop through Atlanta or or Los Angeles. I can't remember, and we had a, a long delay. Mm-hmm. And somehow, after getting off the plane, I ended up. You know, I saw um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu walking beside me <laughs> in the airport. Four, four more hours before the plane to where it was. He happened to be going to. the ah, place. And he, and he says, "Come on with me." And he invited me into the, you know, the the, the lounge. Um, yes. 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 Uh, for premium passengers <laughs> and we just had a nice chat for a couple of hours
1: oh wow what a blessing yeah. <laughs> that's amazing
2: that blessing, I what
1: what a beautiful being what a beautiful being
2: yeah. yeah have you seen that picture of him and the dalai lama
1: oh Where god yes. Together? yes 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 i have the book do you have you, have you seen the book that they did together
2: I haven't seen the book. I must oh get...
1: yes, I have it. I should. It's in my bookcase. It's it's incredible. It's really wonderful. It's about joy. Is in the title. I can't remember the name of it, but yeah. yeah, it's just amazing. So then, from all of that, restorative justice just became a part of your of you, I and mean, you became a part of it. It was yeah. just like yeah.
2: fish to water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was very inspired by the possibilities mm. of, yeah. of justice and healing. Yeah. Uh, through restorative justice processes.
1: Well, you know, what you've done here in Oakland, I have to say with um, restorative justice for Oakland youth and uh, our joy, it's just been just unprecedented, phenomenal. um, What is happening here in Oakland and how it's being used in our public schools. It's, uh, It's an incredible success because that is who we are. I mean, this this penal way of dealing with harm is absolutely ridiculous. It's like, let me harm you for the harm that you've done. And harm upon harm upon harm does not bring peace, does not bring anything but more harm and more hate. And so what you have been bringing with restorative justice in Oakland has just been really, really tremendous. Vanya, thank you for all that you've been doing you know I'm I'm also really curious just kind of jumping to where we are right now mm-hmm. and um this is um what day well actually this is like the second and a half week two and a half yeah. weeks since George Floyd was murdered I
2: think, won't tomorrow be
1: tomorrow will be three weeks
2: three weeks yep
1: Yeah, it'll be three weeks tomorrow. Right. It'll be three weeks tomorrow since George Floyd was murdered. And our country and the world has fundamentally changed in a lot of ways. A lot has happened. And I'm curious, given your history of the movement before um, in the 60s and the movement now that you're seeing, if you can talk about the difference between those movements and and what you're seeing.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, Kanda, I cannot believe you know what we're seeing today, and it's the changes, the possibilities, the things that are happening now. I just yeah wouldn't have imagined, you know. Yeah, and the pos- yeah the possibility for transformation is um, so present, so present in this. You know, world. right? It's palpable. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Listen, Really, really excited.
1: Yeah, it's exciting. It's you know the sadness that comes with it, yeah. and then another brother just getting murdered last night and out in Atlanta.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really. I mean, it, you know, it's yeah. and you know, as everyone's saying, you know, enough is enough. And as Philanise Floyd said at the congressional hearing, yeah. "Stop this! Stop yes. this! Stop it! No." Yeah. And so, what's amazing and what's different today is that people have just overnight uh, graduated from systemic racism one hundred and one. You know, <laughs> I mean, you country.
1: never heard that word in the public discourse. I mean, black people—we've been talking about it forever. Yes, yes. but to hear people in Washington, white
2: men in suits, talk about <laughs> systemic racism, and to hear Ms. Well, Mitt Romney saying "Black Lives Matter" and right. Marching, you know, the... Recording. And marching in the street? It's, it's just so uh, amazing. Because um, most people, and not just white people, yeah. but yeah. a lot of white people for sure, thought of racism as individ- something that someone right. said or did yeah. to or other Black yeah. people. Can you square that up
1: right now a little bit? Let's just act like we're talking to people who don't know the difference and just... A little bit of, of, of uh, definition here around racism, if you don't mind, and, and structural racism and what people think is racism.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's a complicated story because it goes all the way back to our beginnings, the seeds of who yeah. we are, the seeds of our beginning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in white supremacy, mm-hmm. in slavery, mm-hmm. uh, in land theft. Yep. and genocide, yep. um, um, that's where it all began. This radical commitment to white supremacy.
1: Okay, so now I'm going to stop you there because white supremacy, most white people think that white supremacy are the Ku Klux Klan, people who wear the white and, and the real radical, absolutely neo-Nazi types, that that's what white supremacy is and that that's not them. So therefore, they're not a part of it.
2: But that's that is what is changing too, Ganda.
1: Okay, let's hear it.
2: Yeah, Uh, white supremacy used to be a sort of marginalized. uh, You're a bit kooky, um, or you know, on the edges if you talk about white supremacy. Um, But now you find it, you know, in newspapers, in daily newspapers, not just you know in corporate media, not just in progressive media. You see it in. In uh, books and in, in academia, uh, you hear it on the news. Uh, We—it wasn't even like this of just a couple of years ago. Right. You see it in the discussions around the countless removals of the Confederate statues that are coming down. Right. 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 And in a hundred, how many cities? Well, about a hundred twenty or 125 of those statues have come down in many cities across the. Yep. Region. Yep. So people, and it's, it's, it's a question of just, of truth telling and and acknowledging the massive pain uh, that uh, our country, that our government um, has inflicted uh, since the very beginning uh, in the name of white superiority, you know? Yeah. So people are starting to see that it's not just individuals who are not nice to other individuals who happen to be Black. Because yeah. uh, they've seen those videos over and over and over and over again. And
1: it's not just a bad apple. It's not a bad, one bad apple. I mean, one of the things that is really, I hope, becoming clear is that this country was actually built on the ideology of white supremacy, meaning that, you know, the superiority of white people. And that is in every institution. That is in everything that we come in contact with. And so it's not like it's those those people who are extremists with, you know, the Ku Klux Klan. Those, yeah, they are white supremacists, but Definitely. that it is a literally an ideology that this country is built on. And, and and lives by, and so we can't it's
3: say founding, that it,
2: it's a founding principle, it's a founding principle of America that we are committed to. That's right, to uphold. Should. That's right, but to disrupt a, that commitment right, that's right. now. That's right, that's right. That's right. Yes, it's not just a, a bad apple, or no. Two. no, 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 it, it is it a fabric. Bad, if it was just a bad apple or two, we could indict them, we could, yeah, try yeah, them. yeah. We could fix them. they would be sentenced and serve their time. Right. And presumably, you know, the, the the police department would be okay again. Right. That's, that's not, not it. It's that is the not whole it. barrel that yeah. is rotten.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Like,
2: like every other institution, uh, social uh, uh, agency uh, structure in this country, it is drenched and saturated and permeated right. in white supremacy. That's right. That's right. That's it's right. Systemic, that's, that's why it's just so heartening to see people talk about, you know, systemic racism now and and yeah. understanding that it's not enough to uh, to get rid of the individual, you know. Yeah, no, it's you know, not a new system because black lives will never matter under the current system That's of right. policing in this country. Yeah, but you know that, and and the the really kind of interesting thing is, is that logic applies to every single institution in this country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every single, whether it's yeah. housing, education, health, um, they're all drenched and saturated and permeated in white supremacy. Yeah. So what so excites me is that I think we're poised um, to have a, a, a massive breakthrough in this country when it comes to finally um, uh, naming and responsibility for and transforming uh, uh, system. Because people have to be able to see it
1: and understand it and Mm -hmm. understand that it is systemic and w- and i and, and one after the other after the other these incidences with the police is showing that this is and then and then when you really open your eyes you can't help but see the disparities of black folks in america and how we live and and what is available in our neighborhoods and what's not available and the green spaces that you know in the good neighborhoods and the good schools and all of those kinds of things
2: right and the people right? who are infected with coronavirus are that are dying at three times the rate of white people you know well,
1: so you, now we're talking about the double pandemic right we have a right now in america we have a double pandemic the pandemic of the coronavirus and the pandemic of racism both coming together in in such a way that the light is so brightly shining on it that it actually the silver lining is that people are beginning to see that this is not a coincidence that black people are dying in the streets and they're dying in the hospitals and they're dying everywhere based on a system that has created a lifestyle that has been unhealthy
2: mm-hmm.
1: intentionally so lack of resources and safety
2: absolutely it's as if you know all of the ugliness of who we are as america yeah that has is- 401 years been buried you know yeah. but is festering um yeah. infected coronavirus glances it george floyd yeah. glances it glances. and all of it, it coming out oh, that, yeah all those toxins you know yeah um In-
1: yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And it's an um, incredible time in history right now, in U.S. history. I, I want to I wanna jump to, because we're going to have to start going towards wrapping soon, but I really want to jump to all that's happening in the streets, the young people keep staying out there as long as you can. I love that they're out there, that this is happening. And what is missing in terms of, we're hearing about systemic racism. We're hearing about um, white supremacy. We're hearing about all these these concepts that we just mm-hmm. mentioned that people need to know about. What about the healing?
2: Yeah, yeah. We're not hearing about that um, we're not. as much. You know what? I've got to go and get my plug because my computer is dying.
1: The computer's dying. Okay, go. I'm sure we can. We'll get with that. Get no worries. No worries.
3: So I suppose we will make an edit here.
2: Okay. Sorry about that. I thought I had it. I had like 70, 70. No worries. No worries. All good. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you did that.
1: So tell me, yeah, about the healing that seems to be. Yeah,
3: right.
2: Yeah. yeah, about the healing. We haven't heard so much about that. Um, you know, we've, yeah. we've seen the, I mean, have you seen those articles uh, from artists, like from the, the actors and producers and writers and film and theater uh, that came out a few days ago um, called Dear White People? Is it Dear White People? Something mm-hmm. like that. I haven't seen it. Dear White American Theater. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. Mm -mm. And it's, uh, it is a letter that does truth telling. Okay. Many of us know about what systemic racism looks like in our universities, what it looks like in our schools with the school to prison pipeline, racial disparities and discipline. We know what it looks like in corporate America with the glass ceiling for black people and with corporate, with racial harassment, you know. Um, We've seen the inner workings of systemic racism in so many settings, Mm -hmm. uh, but not in theater we haven't hmm. we, there's not been a public expose hmm. of interesting racism and right. i didn't even realize it until i read this letter signed by 500 you know, you'll know most of the artists names mostly black you know hmm. the, top, the leading actor <laughs> and producers. produces of black film and, and black theater and um it just, one by one, lists all the ways in which white American theater mm-hmm. uh, dismisses Black humanity, uh, uh, mm-hmm. in some cases even pathologizes Black stereotypes mm-hmm. of Black actors and artists, just right. in very specific ways. Okay. They must recount about 20 ways in which white American theater has been doing this right. for, for, for decades. 500 people signed it. The next morning, after it was dropped on social media, 50,000 had signed it. Wow. And now we're seeing statements from theaters in California, from theaters uh, in in, in Northern California, Mm -hmm. uh, that are very similar. It's kind of a Me Too moment. A lot of anger anger is coming out. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, We're seeing that. And that has to, before we can, the wound can heal, it's got to be glanced. That's, that's right. That's up. right. Can't that's right. fester. Um, and so, I mean, that's part of the healing. It can be part yeah. of the process. Yeah. Uh, but I think the first mention I've seen of healing in any major uh, uh, media outlet is the statement that came out by the um, Minnesota State <laughs> Council. Um, who talks about how, you know, they're going to, when they're asked, you know, how are you going to defund the police? Because the city council has decided it is going to defund the police. Um, And then when asked by the media, how are you going to do that? And they said, we don't know. Right, but the community, but the community knows. And we are, the people who are most directly impacted by this, they know, and Mm -hmm. we're, We are going to create a space where they can envision Mm a new future uh, Mm -hmm. of of, of public safety where Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to them. And one city council member said a few days ago that they were going to use a truth and reconciliation process um, Mm -hmm. uh, to elicit that Mm -hmm. wisdom. um, Uh, from the ground, from the community. From the
1: ground up, yeah. Uh-huh.
2: And then they um, issued this uh, city council resolution just very recently, maybe Friday. Mm-hmm. And it talks about this process, this this truth process that they want to begin. And she mentions, or they mentioned healing. They said, they're, yeah, Good. well, center healing and reconciliation. Good. That's a statement. And then it says further down in the resolution that they will invite healers yeah. and elders and yeah. and beautiful. Beautiful. to be part of this envisioning process, this process mm-hmm. of, of, um, <laughs> of calling forth a new future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was very heartened by that.
1: That so. is really beautiful to hear mm-hmm. because you know ultimately, Banya, we have this planet together. Mm-hmm. Right. We live on this planet that is ailing so much, that is, um, you know, that is human made, as we know, the, the, all the, the problems that we have. And, and ultimately, ultimately, we our liberation is tied together. It's not like, you know, we're on a sinking boat and I'm going to be saved and you're not. I mean, we are in it together. And so our liberation is tied, all of us. And we're deeply interconnected. I mean, I think that if, if people didn't understand how deeply interconnected we are uh, until the coronavirus, when, you know, someone in Wuhan coughs and mm-hmm. it fills up the hospitals in San Francisco, right? We are absolutely deeply interconnected on this planet Earth with each other, with all species, with the planet. And we have got to find a way of peace, a way of honoring all lives. Mm-hmm. And it begins right now in America with all lives matter. Mm-hmm. That is the main, and it's so important for people to understand that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: This is
1: so important because it hasn't, because black lives have not mattered. Mm-hmm. They have not mattered. They're not valued. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are not valued like white bodies are. Mm-hmm. And so... Finding a place of healing with us and peace is going to take a um, it's good. It's going to take a long time. It's a lifetime journey, and I think that a lot of people listening to this podcast are people who I hope are interested in healing, are interested in learning, are interested in growing, changing, transforming, transforming the racism within them, whether they admit it or not. That is the air we breathe, so it's there within you. Mm-hmm. And and what does it take to transform that? And how do we, as Black people and Brown people and White people and Asian American people and Indigenous people, live harmoniously on this planet and in this country? Is it possible? Is it possible? Do you think it's possible?
2: I do. I do. Um. It's a long road ahead, you know. Um, it's a long road. It's a long road. And, you know, uh, what's going on now in Minnesota with this, new, this process of envisioning the future? Yeah. A future uh, way of ensuring public safety where Black lives matter. Because we know Black lives matter. All lives matter. I mean, like you said once when we talked um, about reparations, our yes. uh, reparations is yeah. um, what we need to do. Now, how did you put it? Reparations means doing stuff that shows that we love Black people. I don't How did yes. you put it in a... <laughs> Yeah.
1: I talk about, well, we want to create an infrastructure, and economy that loves Black and Brown people. And that's, that's what we want. And a society would... and an economy that loves Black and Brown people.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: I love that. Because... If it loves black and brown people- it Then it
1: loves everybody. Everybody. Then it and loves everybody. Love the earth. That's right. Then it loves the earth. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's what we are working towards.
2: And, yeah, like, we're working toward that. And you know, one thing, and I guess this is why I'm so attracted to restorative justice. Mm-hmm. In order to get to that end product mm-hmm. of a world whose economic, uh, mm-hmm. education, health, housing system- yeah. Yeah. Love black people. Yeah. In order to get to that end point where all of those systems um, make black lives matter, yeah, um, in order to get to that end point where everyone's needs are met and we acknowledge the bound, the bonds of our inherent relatedness mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we are seen we are mm-hmm. heard we feel a sense of purpose a sense of belonging mm-hmm. we thrive mm-hmm. uh, to get to those places to get to that end point yeah we must do so in a way that reflects the values of that end product yes let me see let me see if i can put it this way we can't get to um, a new place in an old way. In an old systems way, lives, that's right. Yes, systems right. live in us. So right. that healing that we were talking about earlier has to happen. Yeah. If we are truly going to bring forth um, institutions where Black Lives Matter, systems, that's right. we have to transform ourselves as as we transform the world uh, because there's no difference really. No, that inside, uh, the inside uh, outside. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's why
3: I'm
2: hoping that the process in Minnesota Mm -hmm. uh, will not only be focused on coming up with a vision for a new, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of assuring public safety. Right. But I'm hoping that that vision uh, is engendered through a process where people yeah. are transforming themselves yeah. to reflect the values of that of the future. Yeah,
1: I I, I agree, and I think that um, that that is absolutely absolutely necessary and possible. I want it to be. I, I I want a world where when you had to be in the closet with your meditation and, and your yoga and your spiritual practice and be a warrior and, and outwardly, may that not, that dichotomy never have to happen again. May yes. that come together so that this generation and, and being black woman led, this, black, uh, this movement for black lives has been black woman led, which has hope for me, that it will actually come to that healing place and bring together all that we are internally, with the external, and that white people, black people, brown people that we will all be able to see, that we have to develop a heart mind, we have to develop and rid ourselves of all the junk that has been that we were born into and that we have watered and cultivated, all the, all the isms that we can excavate that. And, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take honesty. It's going to take honesty. It's going to take courage. Mm. It's going to take the courage to say, this is what I am doing, and I'm showing up, and I'm not perfect, and I'm going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take on our side, on all sides, saying forgiveness about mistakes and knowing that we are in this together, because we're all going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, I see mistakes being made with, you know, right now. And I'm like, bring the love, y'all. Bring the love. Mm -hmm as long as we bring the love into this process, which is inherent, it's underneath it. The reason why they're out in the streets is because they love something so much, right? They love life so much. They love dignity so much. They love justice so much. And so bringing that love forward is what I think is going to be the answer. And when love is forward, it is a force. Yes. It is a force. And it, it will, it's it, so I'm just trusting that that's what's going to happen here.
2: And we got a lot of work to do to get us. You know, oh my God,
1: we've got so much work to do. Where the love can freely, we've got a lot to do. But we got to do it one by one, and two by two, and individuals, and who do, and mentorship. Mentorship nice. is so important. Absolutely. You know, who are you talking to? What young people are you mentoring? What young people am I mentoring? Right.
3: Nice. Nice.
1: Yeah. Right. That's that's that is the key, you know. We're going to unfortunately have to wrap this conversation. I'm just feel like we're just getting started. This has been so wonderful, Fanya.
2: So oh, wonderful, it's been so great for me too.
1: Yeah. So I am.
2: Um, yeah. Say that again. I said we will continue. I feel yes. Like we'll oh
1: continue. gosh. Yeah. 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 We'll continue. Maybe we'll do a part two. Maybe we'll do a part two on the Brown Rice Hour, but you and I will continue, obviously. Um, So I just want to really thank you for being here, being the first guest, being um, the guinea pig, so to speak, and see how this works, this podcast. Um, I hope folks are, you know, finding it interesting. I can't imagine that they won't. And I want to close out with uh, a meta for, um, for Black Lives. If that's okay with you, so um, so I would like to close with meta and which is a loving kindness, a loving kindness um, moment, and so and this is one that's specifically for Black lives right now, and um, so may all Black lives be safe and protected and resourced abundantly with housing and healthy food to eat and clean water to drink and the healthcare that is needed.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. And may every black mother's child be valued equally as every white mother's child Mm -hmm. and provided with the same love and care and resources to live their lives fully. Mm -hmm. And may the delusion of white supremacy be laid to rest. Mm -hmm. And may all beings live in the understanding that we are deeply interconnected to each other and to the earth and to all species. And may all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. And
3: may black lives matter.
2: Ashe. Thank you. Wow. Powerful. My favorite meta thus far. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Vanya, for joining me. Um, this is again Condomason with the Brown Rice Hour. And I'm happy to be on this podcast now, having conversations at the intersection of land, race, money spirit and culture. And we hope to see you again. Thank you.